Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on holiday greeting cards, sharing difficult news, bachelor parties for same-sex weddings, the perfect guest room, and dating text etiquette. All that plus a postscript segment on toasting from our favorite book, The Rituals of Dinner. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. You got things to talk about. I do. I had an etiquette problem this weekend. And Did you? Yeah. What? Ha- I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't Why know- didn't you call? I didn't know what to do. And um, <laughs> I was hoping maybe everyone could help me out. Were you flummoxed? I I like that word. Sorry. I just felt like using it. I wanted a reason. I was flummoxed and I remain a little bit flummoxed. This is not a resolved situation yet. Do tell. So as as regular listeners to the show know, last weekend I was in New Orleans, started off as a business trip. (laughs) I love how you have eight different ways of saying New Orleans. Well, it's because you made me think about not saying it wrong and now I get it even worse every time. (laughs) Everybody says it differently. (laughs) Um... Anyway, it started off as a business trip, um, and that was phenomenal. Thank you so much to my hosts. And it, it turned into a, a bit of a vacation. Pooja came down and joined me, and we spent the weekend, Halloween weekend. And so fun. It was. Um, although it rained the whole time, but that, that didn't Who cares? dampen our spirits much. The Saints won. <laughs> exactly. And, oh, we had so much fun watching the Saints game. While eating oysters. Oh, Football and oysters? <laughs> I mean, talk about— Do you know why? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're starting to understand why I love my team. I, 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 I do. Um, and also love the Garden District. Garden District. Beautiful area So lovely. It was what I pictured. When I imagined New mm. Orleans ahead of time, that was what I pictured. And when I wandered in, I said, this is it. And I'm here. <laughs> um so what happened? Where so, did I mean? Did you screw up an oyster? Like what? Did, no, what did you I, do? For, for oyster people, I learned new oyster things. Like what did you? Learn? I, I love them with the horseradish. Heavy <laughs> on the horseradish. Just one bite where you actually take the oyster. It's when they're so abundant, you can I'm afford a, to I'm not eat everyone natural, which is usually my way to go because I savor them and love them. Okay. Anyway, back to the problem. <laughs> um, yes. What is the problem? It was a busy weekend in the city, right? Not a lot of accommodation. We booked an Airbnb months ahead of time, and when we got oh, okay. there, it turned out to be that unfortunate situation that you fear most about an Airbnb. That I'm worried as to what's coming <clears throat> next because I can imagine very unfortunate situations. Okay, so maybe not the most unfortunate, <laughs> but pretty pretty unfortunate. It was not the type of Airbnb that someone's home that they actually rent out when oh. they're not there or something. It was so more of a professional Airbnb apartment. So it seems as if someone didn't live there all the time. They own this place specifically to rent as an Airbnb. They don't live there ever. 
never exactly. Okay. I'm with you. So it was relatively sparse, and that was fine. It was lo- all about location, 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 location. Yeah. Problem was, Pooch sat down on the couch, and instantly there were bugs crawling all over Ew. her leg. It was so gross. We oh jumped my up, goodness. snapped a bunch of pictures, and ran out the door like with our the, stuff as fast up. as we could. Just living in the digital age, we jumped up, snapped photos, and then ran. <laughs> we, we wanted evidence. Keep For, going. Fortunately, what happened? Not bed bugs, and what um, were they? I am not an etymologist or bug expert. No, they weren't fleas. um, Also, fortunately. Okay. Um, But there was enough of a swarm of them and enough of them getting on you and crawling on you very quickly that it was so gross. At the same time. I'm so sorry that we're grossing you out today. We just, you know, but. It happened. Okay, so yeah, how'd you handle it? The host of the Airbnb was incredibly accommodating, understanding, um, supported our request for a complete refund, and even suggested a lovely, lovely hotel. And I want to give them a mention, the Storyville Hotel, um, right Uh, on the edge of the French Quarter. Did they offer to pay for said hotel? Uh, No. Your Airbnb host didn't offer to pay for your alternate accommodations when his accommodations were not appropriate? No. Huh. But... I tell you, it was even just to get a recommendation on a place to stay, it could have really been problematic. All of a sudden, we didn't have a place to stay, and it's a busy Halloween weekend in the city. And, no kidding. Um, it, it, I just I was picturing us back at an airport hotel outside the city because it's the only thing that'd be available. It was it was really nice that we were able to find a little guest house right near where we wanted to be and had a lovely stay. It turned out to be a great place. So here's the etiquette question: the host yeah. was actually really good, really responsive, apologetic. I'm now in a situation where I, I would feel bad leaving a really bad review about the Airbnb because it, it's um, the impacts are so great on somebody on a personal level. I, I, I feel bad doing that. At the same time, I feel a responsibility to the larger community to let people know what we experience because that's what those types of open market systems right. depend on to to keep some accountability. So that's the point of etiquette: how how to handle that, how to. Offer a bad review, but also to be acknowledging be of the fact that it's a it. it's it's a tropical environment. I'm sure bugs are a thing. I know in the Northeast, you might hear mice in the walls of a place that you stay, and that yeah. could seem gross and disgusting to somebody. And frankly, is 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 pretty common. And can you hear Dan trying to kind of come at it from all angles? This is the part where he's thinking about who's involved and how are they affected. Mm-hmm. I I think that maybe what you could do is just state that. Um, you know, the, when we got there, the place looked great. Everything was wonderful. We did experience one problem that unfortunately meant we could not stay. But the the Airbnb owner was, you know, very responsive. This You could talk about it like that, not actually list the problem. Be honest. Say that you mm-hmm. did not wind up staying in it because of the problem. But at least the person was responsive. I'm, I'm a little fr- – I mean, he gave you your money back, Yes. 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 So that to me is like a toss up. I I can't tell if he gave you your money back and therefore you have the money to now go stay at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Is that true? It was about what the cost of the room was. The hotel turned out to be nicer and cheaper. Okay. So maybe not. Maybe it's not so bad that he didn't offer to pay for the hotel. But It's funny. That wasn't an expectation yeah. that jumped to my mind when it was happening. My I'm thought when it thinking. was happening was I, I really shouldn't have to pay for this. And in the end, I didn't have to. Um, okay. Good. So, you didn't so have that, to pay for the Airbnb. That part correct. felt fair to me. Okay, good. And So I would just – I wouldn't state the details. I would just state what happened and that you appreciated their willingness to – 
tend to things quickly, understand the severity of the situation. And help us find an alternative. And help us find an alternative, yeah. I think that would be good. That's great advice, Kaz. Thanks. Now that we've gotten (laughs) your question answered, should we answer some listener questions? I think we should. All right. Sure, you're right. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn. But it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Our first question begins, I'm sending a holiday New Year greeting card for the Jewish holiday to my nephew who is married to a lovely Catholic lady. Their young children are being brought up as Catholics. How do I address the card? If I just address it to my Jewish nephew and leave off the names of his wife and children, wouldn't that be splitting the family unit and seem to say I disapprove of the intermarriage? I do not disapprove. If I address it to my nephew and his wife, Mr. and Mrs., and their children, then aren't I forcing my religion on the non-Jewish wife and kids? I know I would get insulted to receive a greeting for a holiday that is not of my belief. Which way to go? Thanks for your help, Linda. Oh, Linda, it's thoughtful of you to be thinking about this uh, for sure. It's really important to respect people's religion. It, it matters a lot to people. And for just that reason, I think it's it's also okay to send your New Year's greetings, your New Year's well wishes to the whole family. Um, it really isn't an imposition on them. Uh, It's not forcing them to participate in any way. It's really just uh, an opportunity for you to share a holiday greeting with the family. And I think your relationship with your nephew establishes that relationship in enough of a way that it's it's not awkward or an imposition. This is his – I mean this is the religion that his family comes from. So I think sharing that with the family is just sharing a part of his heritage and his tradition even though the kids are being raised Catholic and that's where the focus is. I feel like – I appreciate the fact that Linda's last line was, I know I would get insulted to receive a greeting for a holiday that's not of my belief. And I think that that's where her sticking point is, is that this would feel insulting to her so she doesn't want to then do it to somebody else. And that's a golden rule of etiquette (laughs) that you really would want people – you treat other people the way you would want to be treated and and that's a fair consideration. But I I think you're right about that. The fact that this is the faith the nephew was raised in and that your family members in some ways, that's not just a, a letter coming out of the blue. <laughs> it, it, it really is coming from somewhere. And and the other consideration that you address in your question that you don't want to split the family, that you don't want to seem like you're just mm-hmm. singling him out, um, it, it wouldn't necessarily be inappropriate to send a, a note just to your nephew. But, oh, I think it would be awkward but of I think this it's, kind of Exactly. Card. But for this kind of card, I, right. I, I think it's so common to send those types of greetings to the whole family or whole household that but you're you, in good shape doing that. You know what Linda could also do? She could also write on the, handwrite on the card and truly hoping you all enjoyed a very Merry Christmas or something like that, something that indicates what they've been celebrating at this holiday time mm-hmm. as a family too. And, I, and that is still truly perfectly appropriate if you're comfortable with doing that. It's a nice idea. Linda, we hope that helps, and we hope you have a happy holiday also. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. 
StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is about sharing difficult news. It begins, Dear Lizzie and Dan, I was recently informed by my doctor that it is likely I have an aggressive cancer with a very poor prognosis. I'm in my 40s, and of course, this is shaking the foundations of my world. Since there is a good chance that this is terminal, I would like to reach out to my friends and family to let everyone know what is going on with me. This would give people I don't interact with regularly an opportunity to reach out to me and not be shocked by the news that comes later and I would welcome the opportunity to reconnect. I was thinking of a post to my Facebook page and or an email message sent to all these people so they can be informed directly by me and not necessarily hear everything secondhand. Of course, I don't want to unnecessarily burden others with my problems or act like I am demanding that they take any action. In fact, while it would be a very personal message about my status, I don't want to feel like I am imposing on them while pushing myself into the spotlight. Can you provide any guidance on the best way to balance delivering potentially devastating personal news about my condition with compassion for those who will be receiving the message? Sincerely, Howard. Howard, I'm so sorry for what you're going through because that that is truly a monumentally difficult thing to have to to process and go through and think about and also to communicate to others. I think that's a part of the process that we don't always naturally think about first. Mm -hmm. And then it, it you realize, wow, this is complicated and this is something that I want to do well. And so I really I think it's wonderful that you're really thinking about the effect that this will have on these people and how they receive it might make a difference to them. That being said, I actually I really like your idea of reaching out. I would reach out to as many people via phone or in person that you can. I think having that conversation in that um, way where you really are connected in time together is a good thing. Um, I also do actually like your idea of an email or a uh, a letter, I think, also might kind of an email. I feel like people often aren't expecting to receive difficult and hard news through an email format. And so I think sometimes a letter kind of at least 
can have that tone of hmm, what's coming or this is very serious or personal. It does. It personalizes it in a way. And so I would recommend going with phone calls and in person as much as possible for this conversation. And then also reaching out with with a letter and that can be printed. It doesn't have to be handwritten. Um, but I do think that that might be a little bit more personal way to deliver the news. And um, the, the medium definitely becomes part of the message. The I, I, I like the idea of personalizing that communication as much as possible. And obviously, anybody that you can talk to in person, I think that's probably a good idea. The the phone is incredibly powerful because they can hear the tone of your voice, and that that communicates a lot. Um, don't underestimate the impact, effectiveness, and appropriateness of word of mouth also, that if there are close friends and family that you know that you can trust to help talk to people, that might be another way to deliver um, this news in in, in a really personal way. It's not necessarily secondhand news. I I know that in in our family, oftentimes one generation of siblings will talk to each other and they'll disperse that really – personal family news to their kids or to 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 the people that they're connected to. I Uh, would also say that what I like about the word of mouth is that um, one of the things that Howard is worried about is he doesn't want others to think like, oh, you have to come and be be with me. And it what it does is it allows for that second person to say, you know, now would be a great time. Howard doesn't want to just be left alone. Like he really does encourage people to come and stop by and, and share moments with him. It allows that to happen without having you, Howard, ask for it. And that secondary piece of information is so important that that it's important both to tell people what the situation is, but also where you are. To <laughs> and, communicate your wishes. And and exactly how you're approaching this and what, what you would like or appreciate from other people, because um, that's going to give them a lot of cues that are going to help them. This is going to be difficult news for, for them as well. So let people know that it's not embargoed information when you tell them mm-hmm. and and also give them the the some idea of, of how you're approaching the situation right now. The thing that uh, is sort of implied in Lizzie and my advice is that some people don't want to hear on social media about news right. of this, this important. Um, so anything you can do to, to connect with people personally first I think is a good idea. Um, once you've done that, once you feel really comfortable about that. Well, about who the word has spread to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, a short post, something that, that is brief and to the point that um, the, the tone and nature of the message is going to be part of how people interpret how you're handling the situation and what your wishes are moving forward. So uh, the same things that you would want to communicate in person. And you can always have someone else read that post before you actually post it to your wall. That way you can make sure the message that you want is being communicated um, the way that you would like it to be. Howard, we truly wish you the best during this time, and we really hope that you are able to reconnect with a lot of the wonderful people in your life, and um, we will definitely be thinking of you, so please take care. Our next question has an interesting um, interesting aspect to it that I hadn't really thought of when it comes to groups of friends and throwing parties and bachelor parties and that sort of thing. Um, we did have to edit this question down, but I want to just recognize that the writer had a lot of really nice things to say, and it was very well written. So I actually felt quite bad having to edit it, and I apologize. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm writing with a question about same-sex wedding bachelor party etiquette. Most of the gay guys I know are people that were his friends first, meaning my fiancé's friends. However, over the course of several years, I thought we had moved in the direction of them being our friends, even though they have known him longer. 
My fiancé's best man has planned a bachelor party for him. When my fiancé asked if I was invited, his best man informed him that I was not, that the party is just for him, meaning my fiancé. I cannot help but feel specifically excluded. As a couple, we hang out with his best man and the rest of that circle of friends regularly. I feel hurt that they want to celebrate with just him and not the two of us as a couple. And yes, I realize that they will celebrate with us as a couple at the reception. But that is not the same as a casual evening with a circle of friends that is at the heart of our social life. I also feel that good etiquette should have dictated that as soon as my fiancé asked if I was included that I should have been added to the list. This situation has made me question if I'm actually one of the guys or if I'm still just my fiance's plus one when we all get together. Due to time constraints, my best man and I opted to forego a separate bachelor party, but instead just the two of us go out to dinner in a cigar bar the night before the rehearsal. My fiancé was invited to join us for this outing long before he was informed of his own bachelor party. I simply wanted to celebrate with the people closest to me. This was not intended to be some last hurrah away from my fiancé. What is the proper etiquette in this situation? I've not turned up much on my own research except suggestions that either separate or combined bachelor parties are acceptable, but the decision should be made by the grooms themselves. Best regards, wants to be one of the guys. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, one of the guys. This is definitely a, a little bit of a tricky situation and that in some ways feelings have already been hurt. And that's always unfortunate. I would say that your research has really turned up pretty much what I would say is the proper etiquette in this situation. Go either way. <laughs> that, that really the uh, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties are such personal affairs. And while they had a real structure to them maybe 20 years ago, that structure has been deconstructed <laughs> at a little this stage. Bit, yeah. People do all kinds yeah. of things. They do Jack and Jill bachelor bachelorette parties, parties and yeah. uh, you, you see ladies going out having the kinds of nights that it used to be assumed were just for the guys mm-hmm. and you see guys choosing to do things like go camping or right. take long hikes and I think a lot of the the preconceptions that people have about these types of parties are um, sometimes met <laughs> and sometimes aren't and it really is a question of personal choice and taste. In this particular situation, I'd say that you and the groom can sit down together and decide what you think is the best way forward and that those are the wishes that people should honor. Um, and and I think there are a couple different ways you personally could approach that. Uh, you might decide that this is a place you really want to make a stand, that this really, really matters to you. And if it does, I think that I would talk to my fiancé about it like that. I would tell him how you're feeling, tell him – 
how you'd like to handle the situation moving forward and see if you can reach some kind of accommodation. If it's not something that you feel that that strongly about, you could tell him how you're feeling about it. But say, you know, I, I really want you to have the experience that matters to you also and, and leave him to make that choice for himself. I think it also might be a good idea to to depersonalize the situation here just a little bit and remind yourself that because people are operating oftentimes with traditional expectations that the decision to to just invite your fiance might not have had anything to do at all with your relationship with the people throwing the party and more with their assumption that that you would want that kind of a traditional bachelor party experience where you each go out and have a final hurrah with your uh, the friends that you brought to the relationship in the first place are your really old and best friends. So I think anything you can do to just uh, remind yourself when you're having your discussion with your fiance that this isn't necessarily a, a comment on the quality of your relationship with your shared new friends is going to be helpful and is going to help maybe make the whole the whole situation a little less fraught and easier to deal with. We hope that helps and we hope that you both enjoy your bachelor parties however they work out together or apart. Our next question is about the perfect guest room. Dear Lizzie and Dan, my husband and I are in our first house that actually has a dedicated guest room, and we recently were so happy to host friends for the weekend. They had hosted us a few years ago when we visited Louisville, and we were thrilled to return the favor. As two people who love history, good drinks, and yummy food, we knew Philadelphia had a ton to offer them. They both said our guest room was very comfortable, but it just doesn't feel very homey to me yet. And I'm hoping you could tell me what makes for a fantastic guest room. Our current setup has a queen bed, two nightstands, each with a light, a dresser, a bench, an overhead light, and a walk-in closet. The closet and all the drawers are empty except for extra linen, towels, pillows, etc. We put an old iron and ironing board in the closet as well as hangers, and I moved some books of local history into the room. There's a full-length mirror, decorative pillows, prints on the wall, a small area rug. Finally, I left a paper with the address and cross street, our cell numbers, the house number, and the Wi-Fi password. I feel like everything it needs is there, but I want to be very welcoming for any future guests, and I don't think it's there yet. Any suggestions? What do you really appreciate in a guest room? Thanks for the podcast and all your hard work. It makes my commute much more enjoyable. Best, H. H, I think... It might be that what you are dealing with is just that feeling of uncertainty. You're, you're sitting here going, I've checked everything off, but why doesn't it feel quite right? And and I think there's not much you can do other than spend the night in your guest room and see how it feels. Guest rooms sometimes don't feel homey to hosts because it's not a room that you spend a lot of time in. You're not living in this room. It's kind of the guest room. It's the room that you go into. It's the room that often we store wrapping paper in and <laughs> things like that. And then we remove it when it's time for guests to actually occupy that space. And so I think that can kind of feel like a foreign room in your house. So I say spend a couple nights in your guest room. Um, that might help alleviate your worry or it might clue you in as to what might make that room a little bit homier. Maybe even though everything's there, you need some color changes or you need more of something. Um, you'll know when you stay in the room because you'll be experiencing it and it might just warm you up to the room a little bit. One particular idea that might be helpful is without introducing too much clutter, a few personal items, maybe a, a family picture or two on the dresser or on the bedside table. Sometimes those types of things are on display in other parts of the house and, and bringing them into the guest room can help connect the guest room to the rest of the house. 
I hope that that helps, and I think you're doing a wonderful job taking care of your guests. Our next question is about dating text etiquette. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. As a single woman in my late 20s living in a city, my dating reality consists of online dating websites as a means of meeting new partners. A few weeks ago, I began messaging with a new man I met online, and after sending several long messages, we started texting each other. We have gone on two dates so far with plans to see each other again, and each date lasted a little over three hours long. We get caught up talking. I have enjoyed our time together so far, and I believe he has as well. He has told me as much. We continue to text each other on a daily basis. My question relates to the texting. I've noticed that he doesn't ask me many questions about myself. I find that I will ask him simple questions such as, How's your day going? Are you excited for your weekend plans? And other related questions about things he has mentioned to me. However, he rarely reciprocates any of these questions. This feels like bad manners to me, right? In person, he shows more of an interest in my life, and the conversation flows easily. Given that this is a new relationship and we're still getting to know each other, I'm struggling as to how to approach this texting situation. At the end of the day, I'm looking for someone who is as interested in me as I am in them, and while I like this man, I need him to step it up if we're going to continue to see each other. Any thoughts on how I should bring this up? Thank you for all your advice and any thoughts you may have on my particular situation. Best, Christine. What do you think? I really sympathize with you, Christine. I myself had a lot of questions about texting and dating. I was not a big texter. And by the time I was in my 30s, texting was an expected part of of a relationship as it began. And it was really watching my brother and his wife, who texted every day, that I normalized my ideas about how much people use texting as a form of communication. I wouldn't set it as the absolute standard at the start of a relationship. It's an important part of early communication, but different people really do approach it differently. I think one of the things that might be worth mentioning is that some people just don't care that much about having conversations during their day through text. So the fact that he asks you about your life and about things that you've talked about when you're in person is much more of an indicator to me that he is interested and wanting to participate. And then not getting back to you during the day. I mean, I have friends who don't do that. And it's just because they're not big texters. It's not the way they want to communicate with people. I might try calling him and seeing if at some point in the evening on a date night that you guys don't have a date that he's willing to talk for a little bit, although I don't know very many guys who like to talk on the phone. But I think that not using the texting as the only indication or the thing he needs to step up doing, you know, is this a a method of communication that he likes to use? I think that's more at the issue than it is whether or not he's interested in you. And give it time to develop. You know, this is a couple dates in. I say, you know, if this was happening much further in, I think it would be an indication that this just isn't his way of communicating like that with you. And I think that because he keeps wanting to see you, that you should trust that that's the sign that he's interested. I couldn't agree more. Christine, we really hope that helps. And good luck as this relationship continues to grow. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? 
Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a message for us on our answering machine at 802-866-0860 or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. Postscript segment today, we are returning to one of our favorite books, The Rituals of Dinner by Margaret Visser, and we will be looking at pages 255 and 256 for a section on toasting. And while this is not the origins of toasting, this section does talk about a couple of the toasting customs throughout history. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It begins... An ancient Greek libation was a sort of concrete prayer, a sharing of wine with the gods. The Homeric ritual for this act entailed rising to one's feet, holding a cup full of wine in the right hand, looking up into the sky, deliberately spilling some of the liquid, praying with both arms and cup raised, and then drinking. The Olympian gods were not necessarily thought to have imbibed the wine, but they accepted the gift, the sacrifice of that all-important first mouthful, and a connection with them was thereby established. Drinking to people was, and remains, in some respects similar to pouring libations. The toaster rises to his or her feet as a gesture of respect, and everybody else rises too. If the recipient of the honor is important enough, all must certainly raise their glasses. When men wore hats at meals, hats had to be removed. The toast is spoken, and it is very important to look the person being toasted in the eyes, and a bow or nod of head follows, and everyone sips wine. Taking only very little wine at this point is a modern constraint. Toasting in the past has often meant draining the whole vessel. Because we all now have our own glasses, we substitute drinking simultaneously for sharing the cup. The Saxon wassail bowl, or wassail bowl, was named after the toasting formula was hail, be hail or be healthy. The favorite toast has always been to wish for the good health of the person being toasted. The Saxon host's wife or his daughter would enter the hall with a large bowl sip from it as a taste test proving that there was no poison in it, and offer the cup of welcome to the guests, 
toasting each one. Later, the cupbearer would ladle out spiced wine or mulled ale into each person's own cup. But the custom of everyone partaking from the single bowl was remembered and survived. For example, as the British ceremony of passing the loving cup from person to person round the whole company. Three people stand up at a time, one to pass the cup, one to drink, and the third to defend. The defender once had to draw his sword and hold it at the ready as the huge two-handled cup took all the attention of the drinker and left him vulnerable to attack. As always, love and the possibility of violence walk hand in hand at the table. Today, the defender merely turns to face the company, guarding the back of the drinker. When he receives the cup, his lip having been wiped on the napkin, which is tied to one of the handles, the person next to him stands to act as defender, and so on round the company. Toasting can be done between two persons only. The ancient Greek version of this was called proposis, the drink before. The toaster sipped first, then handed the vessel containing the rest of the wine to the person honored. On especially dramatic occasions, the cup itself was a prominent gift to the receiver. At a wedding, for example, a golden libation bowl full of wine might be given in this manner from father-in-law to son-in-law. The bowl became a symbol of the bride given away, as we still say, by her father. The two men, the two families, were now one in the shared wine. Isn't that kind of interesting? And here I thought wassailing was caroling. I know, right? <laughs> here we come, wassailing. Yeah. I want to be a defender. <laughs> I know. Wasn't that fascinating, too, that, that the act of sipping this large two-handled loving cup was so distracting for the drinker that someone had to make sure no one was going to kill him in the middle of it. Well, and we've talked about how toasting may have had origins in proving that the beverage you were about to serve your guest wasn't poisoned. And once right. again, you get to this situation where and now we're also going to make an allowance for if your hands are occupied at the table that you get a defender. And <laughs> and and it really is. It points to where a lot of these traditions come from. It's fascinating. Well, I love that the, the libation part, pouring out the first sip, meant that you were going to be giving the best sip, the first sip, you know, the most desired sip to the gods first. And I always thought all, all across the board, just some interesting history of, of toasting. Once again, Margaret Visser and the rituals of dinner, we bow. You are amazing. Today, we have two etiquette salutes. The first begins, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. As all of your emails probably start, I love the show and hearing the U.S. take on various questions compared to the British, especially cutlery-related. Your show is helping me check my own etiquette and the way I treat others to make their lives easier. I would like to salute one of my close friends who has been doing some part-time work for me recently. It's been completely informal with maybe three days in the last month. A little background. The company that I am a partner of makes trophy oars for the winners of rowing races around Britain, though we don't only do this, and our turnaround for a batch has to be within a week, including some fiberglassing work, which my friend has been doing for me. When he was last here, I left him alone with no real idea of how he was working apart from the fact that the oars were appearing. But when I came back to my big box of fiberglassing equipment this week, which I'd left him to put away, I found that when he had tidied, he had also prepared large amounts of cut glass and prepared all the molds ready for use the next time. This enabled me to get on with the work with a minimum of preparation. 
He really didn't need to do this at all, and it made my day. Thank you again for the amazing tips on the show. Keep up the good work. Kind regards, Oliver Eagle Wilshire. This is very nice. I like it when friends hint, hint, make my work day <laughs> hint, hint easier, or family, or cousins named Daniel. By doing extra work and leaving your work done. <laughs> you yes. want to clean my office today? <laughs> Our second salute begins. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I am writing to send an awesome etiquette salute to my friend Sierra. Myself and three other friends, including Sierra, have a monthly rotating dinner party where one person hosts and cooks an entree and shares a movie they love. The three guests bring dessert, beverages, and a snack for the movie. This month, it was Sierra's turn to host. My group of friends have all had a difficult month. Lost jobs, strained relationships, and unexpected changes that have stressed and spread us thin. Sierra took this opportunity to take care of us in this difficult time. She asked us not to bring anything at all, and she made a delicious three-course meal and craft cocktails, all set on a picnic blanket and served from a picnic basket on the floor of her studio apartment. After dinner, she shared a movie she loved as a child and even rented a movie I had been talking about in case we had time for a double feature. She then made the option available for all of us to stay the night, it was very late when the movies ended, and found a way to make us all comfortable despite being in a 400-square-foot apartment with little furniture. I was blown away by her helpfulness, cheerfulness, creativity, and generosity as a host. My friends and I left feeling taken care of and happy and forgot about our troubles for a little while. So thank you, Ciara, for elevating our monthly tradition into a true expression of friendship and care. It's a gathering I won't soon forget. All the best, Sammy. I want friends like Sierra. That sounds lovely. And we're always talking about how people are are doing less really excellent hosting these days, or we oftentimes hear that about a... Uh, the Z generation, they're called. And it's really nice to hear about some excellent hosts out there. Isn't that wonderful? And just someone taking a moment to go the extra mile because you recognize that your friend could really use a little cheering up. I just think that's wonderful. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. As always, thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you like what you hear, don't be shy about it. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute and Awesome Etiquette. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Buto. 